It is good to give thanks to God in all things, and I'm thankful for donuts as well, just like that little girl. Um, so you're thankful of a lot of things as well, and, and I hope you do have a good Thanksgiving, and hopefully you all have some days off. You can spend some time with family. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. I love to spend time with family. love the food. Uh, it's a great holiday. Uh, we started a new series last week uh, calling it Exiles Living Between Kingdoms. Uh, so we're in the book of Daniel. Uh, this morning, Daniel chapter 3 is the specific story, the specific chapter that we'll be in. And I would encourage you, if you haven't watched uh, the, the sermon online from last week, if you weren't here, uh, we're posting our videos now online so you can actually watch it and not just listen. Uh, but we had, a, we had a good start last week, a good start to this series where it's going to give us a foundation for the rest of this series. And so I wanted to recap that just real quick. And so last week I started off with a question for you all. And we kind of had this question that kind of had, it was kind of over the entire message. And it was this, it was, where does your identity come from? And I ask you, where does your identity come from? And in the midst of this kind of crazy world right now that we live in, in the midst of America, I ask you, where does your identity come from? Does it come from maybe things of this world and things in this country, or does it come from God? Because I believe living between the kingdoms, living between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, we have to decide that question. And we have to determine if we are identified as a follower of God or if we're identified as something else. And so I'd encourage you and I urge you, hey, we've got to put our identity first in God, first and foremost in all things. And when we find purpose in Him, man, that gives us response for the rest of our life. And so you see that when culture shifts and life changes, if we know that we are followers of God, we know how to respond. And so throughout the rest of Daniel, that's kind of what we're looking at. Uh, so we're seeing these stories in Daniel, these men in Daniel, and how they respond because they are men of God. Because they are children of God. So Daniel chapter 3, again, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, we're also going to have it on the screen. But what we saw last week as well, we saw that these men, they were taken from Jerusalem as exiles. And I can tell you, I can't really imagine what that was like. I've never been a prisoner. I've never been in exile. Nothing even close to that. I've experienced culture shock in, in little ways in my life, and maybe some of you as well. If, if you've gone to different countries or maybe just a different state, it's very different than Georgia. If you've experienced kind of culture shock. Uh, well, the first time I did, I was, I was in middle school, probably about 10 to 12 years old, and I went on this mission trip to this small island called Grenada. Now, Grenada is kind of right off the coast of South America. Has anyone ever been to Grenada? I'm just really curious. Really? Okay, awesome. Uh, it's a really small island, but it's, it's, it's really cool. And so we did this kind of VBS program throughout this week. And I, I experienced culture shock in a lot of little ways throughout the week. Uh, we go into this restaurant while we're there. And it's this cafeteria kind of style restaurant. And so that means basically there's glass and there's food behind it. And people are serving you the food. And so I'm looking at the menu. And there's a lot of things that first off, I don't know what they are. Uh, one of the things that they have on this menu... And maybe some of you know what this is, but it was called Lambie. It's L-A-M-B-I. This is not Mary Had a Little Lambie. This is something way different. All right, so what this is, this Lambie is, is this, this weird alien creature that comes out of a conch shell. Now, I didn't even, when I was a middle school American sheltered boy, I didn't even know that there was something that lived inside of a conch shell that makes a lot of sense, but like I didn't know that at the time. And so here's what this thing looks like. I just want you to get this image in your mind. All right. So and I saw this throughout my time in Grenada as as Grenadians they'd be on the beach and they'd be kind of cracking these shells open and digging these alien creatures out. And they're really nasty, they're really slimy looking. This is what Lambie is. So I didn't order a Lambie, I'll just tell you that. I didn't order Lambie, I knew what that is. And so I decided, all right, I'm gonna pick out fish. Fish is pretty safe, right? 
I know what fish is. I've had fish. I forget even what type of fish it was. And I get my plate, and I'm horrified. Again, think sheltered, American, middle school boy. I get my plate, and on my plate is a fish head. And I'm used to like a fish fillet, you know, something real like American. Like you don't, you don't want to look in the eye of your food, right? Like hunters, like you, you probably say, yeah, it's good to look into the eye of your food, right? But, but I'm looking at this head and there's no body, nothing else. It's just the head. And it's like the soup thing. And I, like I'm terrified because like in the fish head too is the eyeball still. They, like they just cut it off and threw it right in there. And they, the, the Grenadian guy, he's laughing, man. He's just laughing because he sees my face and he's like, oh man, and he's like, the head is the best part. The head is the best part, the cheeks and the eyeball, and he eats the eyeball like right from my plate. Uh, man, I, I, and I can still remember that moment because it was such a culture shock for me. Uh, and maybe it was good. Maybe the eyeball is great. But maybe you've experienced culture shocks like that in your life where you've been to other countries. Maybe you've been to, to Kenya. Maybe you've been to Romania, some of the mission trips that we've done. And I've heard stories about them eating different things or, or experienced things that are way different than America. You see, the, these men... They experienced a pretty profound culture shock, a lot, a lot worse, a lot more than a fish head. But these men, they were taken from Jerusalem as prisoners, as exiles, and by King Nebuchadnezzar, they were placed into Babylon. And you see, their whole life changed in front of them. From their jobs, to their culture, to their kings, to their religions, everything around them was different. It was quite a culture shock. And so what we saw last week in this first chapter is, man, they, they arrive into Babylon, they're there for a little bit, and all of a sudden they're offered up all of these king's meats and king's wines. And it looks like really good stuff. Man, I'm imagining like chicken wings and beef roast. Mary had a little lambie chops, stuff like that. Like a lot of good meat. And maybe some, some, some nice wine. And it's offered up to them, and it's confusing. And you would think, why would you reject that? Because they, they say, no, we can't have that. But we see why, because this meat and this wine would have been offered up to the Babylonian gods. And so for these men that were followers of God, they say, you know, we we can't eat of those things and we can't drink of those things. And we see in this chapter there that God blesses them because of that. And he gives them gifts to interpret dreams and he makes them healthier than they are. And it's this really amazing chapter where God's like, look, my way is always better. And so that was chapter one that we looked at last week. A few years go by, a few years in this time period, and then King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. And it's a crazy dream. I can't begin to tell you everything about this dream, and you'll have to just read it on your own. It's in chapter 2, and he has this dream, and no one can interpret this dream. And so the story goes where he brings all of these smart people that he knows. He's like, all right, I know you're really smart, you're really smart, come together. Now, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to tell me my dream. Now, think about this. Tell me my dream first, and then interpret the dream. And it seems like an impossible request, doesn't it? Tell me my dream and interpret it. And we see kind of a split personality that Nebuchadnezzar has. He's just just crazy dude. And so he's just like, all right, I'll tell you what. If you don't interpret my dream, I'm going to kill all of you. And then I'm going to burn your houses to the ground. But if you interpret my dream, I'm going to give you lots of gifts and we'll, we'll just have a good time together. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's way back and forth. And long story short, man, Daniel is the one man in the kingdom the one man that can tell him his dream and interpret the dream. And it's an incredible story again where Nebuchadnezzar blesses Daniel, blesses these men, God blesses them. And what you're starting to see and what I'm starting to build here is that these men, after years and years and years of being in Babylon, they've kind of settled in. 
You say they've been living there. Maybe they've gotten accustomed to the food, the lambie chops, and all these things that are happening in Babylon. And maybe they're kind of settled in pretty nicely now. Nebuchadnezzar likes them. God's been blessing them. And we experience this pretty profound culture shock. One that probably changed their lives forever. And maybe the greatest way that I see in Daniel in chapter 3. So that's what we're going to look at today. And to get us started, I want to show this video clip to kind of recap a little bit of chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up outside the city of Babylon. He then summoned all his leaders together and proclaimed, Nations and people of all creeds, as soon as the music plays, you must fall down and worship this image of gold that I have set up. And whoever does not bow down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. At once the trumpets began to play, and the citizens of Babylon bowed before the image of gold. But in the middle of the crowd, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood together and refused to bow. All right. I love this story in Daniel, and maybe some of y'all are familiar with this. Uh, Children's Church, this is a famous children's story that we talk about. Uh, so Daniel chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1 this morning. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we're going to start reading just verse 1. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now some of your Bibles, they might tell you what a cubit is. A cubit is a little bit less than a foot. And so this statue is basically about 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And I was trying to think of like a, a, some kind of building a statue that kind of compared to that. I had a hard time finding one. But I'll tell you, like, if you think about a basketball court, a basketball court in length is about 90 feet tall, and you kind of tip it up over on it, maybe it's a kind of feet, you would say. That is about the height of this statue. And so for this time, it would have been a huge statue. This thing is made of gold. Maybe it's plated in gold. Maybe it's solid gold. We don't know for sure. And we don't even know what the statue is of. Maybe it is of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, I don't know. if He's kind of that vain. It might be of him. Uh, maybe it is a Babylonian god. We, we saw other gods last week like Bel and Aku. Maybe it was one of them. But in any way, Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this huge, ginormous gold statue on this kind of like plane. And it's, it's this crazy kind of image. And Nebuchadnezzar, he basically brings all the people together and he's like, all right, Y'all just got to tell me how nice this statue is. Like, just praise me for it. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Basically, just worship this statue. And, he, and he's kind of acting like a little kid here. I'll be honest. He, he builds this thing, and he's just like, now praise me for it. Because it is amazing. And little kids kind of do this in a way. And it's, hey, if little kids do this, they're little kids. They're great. They, they, they're allowed to do this. But, you know, they, they maybe they paint a picture. They draw a picture, and they, and they show it to you. And they, they what? They're, oh, tell me how great this picture is, right? Tell me how amazing... They, they don't want you to criticize. I mean, can you imagine criticizing like a little kid with that? And just, oh, man, you went outside the lines, man. No, that, that's a bunch of squiggly colored lines. That, that looks like nothing. But no, they're saying they praise me for it. And hey, little kids, that's great. But this is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he is kind of acting like a little kid where he builds a statue and he's just like, hey, praise me for this statue. This statue is amazing, isn't it? And so all the people, they come together... And they're standing in kind of this plane, and you can imagine the statue kind of standing there. And they're all staring at this thing, this 90-foot basketball court-sized statue. And it had to have been kind of a crazy sight. And so then King Nebuchadnezzar, he has one of his men. They call him the Herald. He's a representative of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And he calls out this thing and he's like, all right, guys, this is going to be a good time. Thank you all for coming tonight. We're going to have a great time here. All right. So what's going to happen is it's going to be like musical chairs. When the music starts, we're going to do something. We're going to move. When the music starts, everyone's going to bow down to the statue and it's going to be a great time. We're going to love this. But... There's, there's a furnace over there, and like, now, you don't have to worry, but there's a furnace, and if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in. So, so it's probably good to bow down. And so, this is kind of the scene here. When the music starts, everyone's going to bow down and worship this statue. In the meantime, you have these three men. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, these three exiles from Jerusalem, and they're standing in the midst of all of these people. Standing, staring at this statue, and you can kind of imagine the scene, right? I mean, they had been kind of looking at each other. It's like, Shadrach, are you, are you bound down? No, man, I'm like, are you bound down? I'm bound down. Are you bound down? And they had been right next to each other trying to decide in that moment, are you going to bow down to this other God? And before they know it, the music starts and everyone around them is, is bowing down to this gold, weird looking, maybe Nebuchadnezzar, maybe God looking gold statue. And they, these three men, are, man, in the midst of the crowd, they're probably standing there firm. And you have to think, man, people are beside him and they're just like, dude, man, get down. You're going to burn. Like, what are you, crazy? Like, bow down. And they're standing there just far, I don't know, I, I would be shaking. I don't know if they were, they'd probably be shaking. And what a moment, right? What an incredible moment. What an amazing moment of faith for these men. And man, it's just like these men who maybe were kind of going along pretty, pretty well in Babylon. Maybe things were going pretty well. Nebuchadnezzar was blessing them. God was blessing them. And all of a sudden, almost in a moment, it seems like their life changes. And the world has changed around them. And all of a sudden, again, they are exiles. And again, they're choosing between God or world. And you have to think, man, they, they truly believe now, okay, we are living between the kingdoms here. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world and and we are choosing either God or this world. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I was chosen to be on the sprinting team. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank, thank. Paulette loves me. No one else does. Um, I didn't really expect class, but I, probably more like, are you kidding me? I, for, for, for a little white, scrawny white boy, like I, I, was, I was okay. I was pretty good. Um, but for somehow, I was chosen to be on the sprinting team. And we trained for, for months. Uh, it was my first kind of foretaste of competition, athletics, and so I was really excited. And we were training, we were doing 100 meter sprints, uh, 400 meter sprints, we were doing relay races. And so we'd get there early in the morning before school and we'd run and we'd run during recess and after school. And I was really excited. But I was also really nervous. Because again, it was my first kind of taste of competition. I didn't really know what to expect and I was starting to psych myself out, I'll just tell you. So I was starting to have dreams. Now, some of you have dreams. Does anyone have dreams like when you're really nervous, you're kind of thinking about maybe a meeting that you have at work or some presentation you're doing and you start having dreams about it? So I was having dreams about this race. And I was having the very, the very typical dreams that you have when you're really nervous. And so, yeah, I'd be running along in, in the dream and all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, I don't have clothes on anymore. Like, you've, have you had the naked dream before? It, it's, really, it's really weird. And it's, I don't know why our mind goes there at times. Like, why we think that our, our bodies and ourselves would actually do that. Uh, and it started getting me thinking, like, can you imagine, like, in normal everyday life, if you walked out, you go to work, and you drive to work, and you get to work, and you're sitting at your desk, and you go to your meeting, and also, oh, I, I forgot my clothes again. 
You know, like it's crazy to think about that. We would do that. Uh, but that's where my mind was going with this. And then, so I, you know, I was having the naked dream and, and I, I was having dreams where I'd be running along all of a sudden, like I was really slow and everyone was passing me or, I, or my, my feet wouldn't even move. Maybe you've had those dreams before. I was starting to sock myself out for this, for this uh, competition. I was having all of these dreams and getting really scared about it. And so competition day arrives. And we arrive at, it's at the local high school. And it's at the, the, the kind of the track there. And so it was a real big kind of event. And so that kind of made me nervous as well. And all of the different schools, all the different elementary schools, and all of the parents and family, everyone was kind of filing into this stadium. It was real early in the morning. It was, I don't know why they do this to parents. But like it seems like Saturday events and competitions are like at 6 a.m. They're like, that's a good idea. All right, 6 a.m. So we arrive really early and the sun is barely like setting up. And the first event of the day is the 100 meter sprint. Now, usually the fastest of the fast run the 100 meter sprint. And somehow I was I was in that event. I don't know how. Uh, but the 100 meter sprint was the first one. And so we we get in the position and there's eight of us total for this sprint. And I'm looking around, and, and there looks like there's thousands of people in the crowd. There's probably only about a hundred, but there's there looks like there's thousands of people. And I see my family, and I see all the school people, and whew, whew, I'm I'm nervous, man. This is my first night, my first thing, my first the first race of the day, and so my heart is beating like crazy. And, and I realize because we're there so early that the track kind of has some dew on it, and it's kind of it still seems kind of wet. So then I'm like, well, that's not good. What if I fall? You know, the track is wet. It's going to be easy to fall. And then I see there's no starting blocks. And I don't know why they did this to us, but like I practiced with starting blocks. You know those blocks where you put your feet and you can push off when you sprint? None of those were there. I'm like, what about my dreams? Like, I'm, going, I'm getting a little nervous. I'll be honest. And so then the time starts and I'm like, it's too late now. I got I to gotta do this race. I got to run. And so everyone's like, all right, on your mark. So we get down and I'm... You know, I'm kind of putting my feet as, as, I, as I can. I don't have any starting blocks, but I'm kind of putting them right against the track. Get set. All right, I got my clothes on. Everything's good as far as that goes. Go, and they shout go, and I push off as hard as I can. And I want to win this race. I'm nervous, but I want to win. And then they push off as hard as I can. And right when I push off, man, my foot slips. My back foot slips immediately. And I'll tell you, I didn't take but a step, and I fall on the ground. <laughs> Uh, and I know my mind had done this to me. I know I had done it to myself, man. All the dreams and all the, the do and the... I had psyched myself out to that point. But I am on the ground, man. And it, it, was, a low, it was a low moment in my life, I'll tell you. And it, it was one of those moments that, that truly does slow down. Sometimes you have these moments where maybe they're terrible or something. And it, man, life really slowed down in that second that I was on the ground. And I looked at the crowd and I could see, you know, as the crowd was beginning to, ah, like right when the race, race began, and it was almost like in a second, it hushed. And sometimes we think that people are looking at us, but in this instance, people really were all looking at me. This poor elementary school boy that just fell without even taking a step. And they were all hushing and they were all just like staring at me, wondering how I would respond. Would he cry? Would he walk off? Would he yell? How would this little boy respond? And it's crazy because in, in that moment, again, it was, it was something to where life seems pretty normal for a while. And, you know, the race was great. And, and, and in a second, in, in an instant, things changed around me. The world shifted in a sense and all eyes were looking on me. 
All eyes were wondering how this little boy would respond. And you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in this moment, everyone was bowing down to the statue. They were in a moment where the world shifted, things changed, and all of a sudden all eyes were on them, wondering how these three men would respond. You see, life can kind of be like that for us at times. And when I was looking at this chapter, I'll be honest, when I started reading through it, I'm thinking, how can we as Americans relate to this? How can we begin to relate to this type of persecution? Uh, we don't understand what it means to say, hey, bow down to this God, or if you don't, you're going to die. Like we, just, we don't really understand that. But there's other Christians around the world that do experience that. I don't know if you know that, but there's Christians around the world today that experience that, are, that are killed because of their faith. But what we do experience is we, we experience changes in our life. We do experience times where, where the world shifts, where things change, where life change happens. And you're in those moments and you're, maybe you're struggling with your faith. And maybe you're struggling with whether you, you worship God and you thank God in those moments or you, or you reject God in those moments. See, we all have these, you would say, these fires in our life. We have these furnaces that are very clear, very apparent. And sometimes it's a struggle to decide whether we worship God and, and we worship the, the kingdom that he's a part of. Or maybe we, just, maybe we just bow down and we forget about God in these moments. And it's for, for all of us, it, it happens in different ways, and I know that. Uh, for some of you, like you've been betrayed in your life. Uh, some of you, you've been betrayed by your parents, maybe another spouse. And when you're in those moments, when you're in those fires, sometimes it's hard to thank God. It's hard to praise God. Maybe it's hard to even have faith in God. Uh, for others of you, you've experienced loss. It's crazy that all the loss that we have in this world. Uh, between our loved ones, between little kids, and it's, it's, it's awful. And some of you have been in those moments and... And you know it's hard to have faith in God when those things happen. Others of you, you've had maybe health diagnosis, and, and, it's, 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 and it's bad, and you're, and you're wondering, where is God in these moments? You see, we all have fires in our life. Uh, I've mentioned my, my dad before, like when I've been up here, and when I get into topics like this, it's hard for me not to have that kind of at the forefront of my mind. And I'll tell you, like, for those of you who haven't been here, haven't heard me talk about it, but... Uh, he's, he's a preacher, he's down in Florida, and he's, he's about 50 years old, uh, and he's, he's going blind. Um, and he's, it's gotten worse since I've talked before, and he's at a point to where he's not driving. Uh, very well might not minister um, full-time anymore. And I'll tell you, like, that, is, that is a huge fire in my life. And I know it's a huge fire for him. And us as a family, like, we constantly struggle, man, with, with that, that idea that this is here, and, and where is God in the situation? Where is the healer? You see, I, I've seen divorce happen in my family. I, I've seen loss. And that's all to say that we can all kind of be together in, the, in this idea that we have fires. All of us know those moments in our life where we question whether God is real. We question if God is still here, if God truly brings healing, if God truly is a God of grace, a God of love. You know, and it's in those moments as we're living between kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, where we're questioning those things, where I feel like this story is so true. 
And I would love for you to think about those fires, because I believe everyone has one in their life probably right now. As we read the rest of this story, and so let's continue. It's in Daniel chapter 3, and verse 13. So furious with, with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you got to imagine, again, they were standing up, and Nebuchadnezzar is furious at this point. And so he summons them, and so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? And you got to imagine, like, Nebuchadnezzar is stunned, man. Who are these men to defile him? Who are they? And so he gives them one more chance. He's like, I'll give you one more chance. Bow down to to that statue and everything's going to be okay. But still, they don't bow down. So here's what happens. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say something to Nebuchadnezzar. And these, I think, are the most important kind of words in this story. So verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. For if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Man, Nebuchadnezzar, he's got to be stunned at this point. These three exiles from Jerusalem defy the king of Babylon. And so he is raging. Split personality, man, he's on the raging side at this point. He is raging. He's like, you know what? Turn the furnace up seven times as hot as it is. Make it as hot as you can. And he says, tie the men up and throw them in the furnace. And so the soldiers, they take the men, they tie them up. And they toss them into the furnace. And the Bible is crazy when it says you know, the fires are so hot, the flames are so blazing that the soldiers were burned and died from the flames of just throwing these men in. Now the story would seemingly end there. But in a crazy moment, Nebuchadnezzar sees something in the furnace. And let's read those verses. He sees something and this is what happens. Verse 25. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Man, what an incredible story, isn't it? It is amazing that these men could have easily fallen under the pressure of Babylon, under the things of this world that were going on around them, but they stood firm in their faith. Man, I don't know if I could have done that. So as I I had fallen, we're going back. As I had fallen on the ground in that race. And as I looked into the crowd and looked into my parents' eyes. I'm proud to say at this moment that I bounced up as hard as I could. And I got up as, as hard as I could, man, and I started bolting down the line. And I guess I was fast enough or other people were slow enough. At that point where I was running as fast as I could and I actually passed two people. And so I finished in sixth place. Not, not too terrible for, for eight people. And the crowd, it, it was funny because here the crowd, they're roaring and they're going excited for the guy that finishes in sixth place. 
Um, but it is because how I finish. You see, it's because how I responded in that moment. You see, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they responded in a pretty incredible way. When the world changed around them, when life changed around them, they stood firm in their faith. So that's kind of my question, I guess, for you this morning, is how do you respond? When the world changes around you, when the fires come into your life, what is your response? Because I, th- I think there's really only two responses. Because when those fires are so bright and so blazing, we either go towards God or we go away from Him. There's only kind of two choices there. And it's incredible what these men say. And if you read the, if you kind of heard those, the voices when they, when they say these things to Nebuchadnezzar, they say, Nebuchadnezzar, look, you can throw us into the furnace. You can do with us whatever you want to do. But man, we will not worship your God. Because our God has the power to rescue us. And they say, even if, even if he does not, we're not going to worship your God. You see, we're living between kingdoms. Between the kingdom of this world, between the kingdom of God's. And a lot of times we're going to have choices to either go towards God, to have more faith in him, to praise God, to thank God in these situations, or to maybe reject God. And here's the promise that God has for us. And you'll know this, that fires are going to happen in your life. Things are going to come that are going to be painful, that are going to be unfair. And God never promises to remove those fires. A lot of times we stop in that and we wonder why the fire is there. And we wonder where God is in that fire. God's not going to remove the fires. What he does promise to do is when the fires come in our life, he promises to walk through the fires with us. And he promises that we won't be set ablaze. I love these words in Isaiah, and we're going to kind of somewhat finish off with this in Isaiah. It very much echoes this story in Daniel. Now listen to what Isaiah says. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine, and when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Y'all, the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of this world, it's not, it's not easy living between them. And sometimes the, the fires and the statues will be in our life and, and they'll be so apparent and they'll be so present and it's and sometimes it's easy to bow down and just to kind of succumb to the world. Maybe to crumble under the pressure of the unfairness of everything. But you see, God promises not to remove those things, but he promises to walk through the fires with us. And we usually ask that question, why does the fire exist? But I think we should ask instead, how do we have a God that goes through the fires with us? You see, when when we do that, and when we see God in the fires with us, we, we truly proclaim that our God is greater. That our God is stronger. That the kingdom of God is greater than any other kingdom. 
I'd ask you to choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this world. As we saw last week, we are children of God. I'll tell you, as children of God, when the fires come in our life, we can proclaim proudly that God is there with us. That God walks through them with us. And even though they're painful and even though they're hard, at times, God will say, yeah, look, you will not be set ablaze. We are the children of God. We respond with faith when the fires come. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, again, I thank you for just for this, uh, these stories in Daniel. God, it's incredible that we can relate to such things as after so many years. Uh, Father, I, I pray, man, that we can be men, that we can be women, that we can be kids of faith. Father, help us to know, man, that first and foremost in our lives that we are children of, of God. We are children of you. Father, in that, man, we know that, man, when life gets tough and life gets hard, man, it's, it's, sometimes it's easy to, to ah, man, to crumble under this stuff. But, but Father, we, we pray that, that we have enough faith, that we have enough perseverance to know that you walk through those fires with us. God, thank you for that. You don't have to do that, God, and but you promise us that. You promise to have a relationship with us, and man, who are we to, to have that, God? But thank you. Thank you for your love. We don't deserve it, but you show it anyway. And these things I pray, amen.